Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters Podcast Season 3, Episode 4. Tegan, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Stoked for uh, what we got coming for you guys. Yeah, should be a good one. We have the one and only Brennan Lee Mulligan on with us today to talk about Starstruck, their new show, Dimension 20, and utilizing the Star Wars 5e system, which we had the amazing honor to you know work with them and the team to help get that system up and running for them for that show. So that will be coming here soon. Uh, but first, a few announcements and whatnot on our end. Of course, check us out, DungeonJediMasters.com for links to all of our content, this uh, podcast, YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter, uh, our Patreon as well. Before we get into the Patreon, uh, I do want to mention something on the YouTube end. We are very near to 2,000 subscribers on that, which is amazing. You know, we've really tried to work on wrapping up the content there, both through our actual plays and then useful content for fellow DMs out there that are running things. So once we do hit that 2000 mark, uh, which is pretty close, I think it's under 100, uh, but we're going to do some sort of a giveaway. We've talked about maybe a custom adventure for that individual that wins the contest, you know, all sorts of different things we're going to look at. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, YouTube content as well. Tegan, I know you've got a video coming up. Do uh, so this so by the time this launches, it should already be up on YouTube. Uh, but check out uh, it's going to be basically big bad evil species you can use in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, I've been on a real anti Sith and Imperial kick, and it's kind of mixing up new things you can bring in. And uh, I'm going to go over some of my favorites from both Legends and a little bit from Canon too uh, of species that can serve as the big bad evil guys for your campaign and uh, some areas where you can find inspiration on how to run them, uh, as well as just what they're about and how you can bring them to your campaign yeah i look forward to that one i think expanding you know what what you use in, in regards to species and, and how you use them in, in your campaign is fantastic and it's not always just the as you said sith empire whatever so very cool so check that out on our youtube if you haven't yet make sure you hit that subscribe and we'll get that uh, contest out here very soon uh, our Patreon, of course, uh, we need to give lots of support to them. We hit that 100 uh, Patreon subscriber mark a little bit ago. So we are working on, uh, as, as mentioned, the DM screen and, and otherwise. So thank you so much to all of that. We do have some new members as well. Uh, so Tier 1, AdCon, thank you very much. Uh, and Tier 2, we have The Fresh Chef, which is an annual subscriber. Uh, Mario, Steven, Austin, another annual, and then Ryan. And then lastly, uh, Leonardo at tier three. So thank you to all of you new members there. I appreciate it very much. Really goes a long way to help us continue with this content. And uh, tier two members, along with uh, tier three members who had a preview of this, will get access uh, at release of this podcast to our latest uh, module factions and where to find them. So this is next uh, in a series of somewhat kind of campaign adventure concepts. And uh, we talk about uh, creating concepts for factions, their goals, who, who they are, and then where they exist. Uh, some ways to flesh out a 
kind of a setting within the campaign, um, breaking it down into like maybe it's a town or a specific location and just giving some life to those things to help you flesh out your world and then plug that in when the players go in and dive into that. So that is available with this podcast here uh, on Patreon for all tier two and three members. There will also be, I'm going to get a video out going over that Patreon release as well, probably following up on the next day here uh, after the podcast. We also have a fun collaboration to mention. We connected with the Geeky Seamstress at Sewing Geekiness on Twitter to make some Dungeon Jedi Master dice bags. I got a couple samples in the other day and they're fantastic. Uh, great little drawstring on them holding multiple sets of dice, uh, DJM logo pattern on them. So you definitely need to check them out. There is a limited number available, so be sure to follow the link in the show notes of the episode to the store and grab one for yourself or as a perfect gift for your campaign's DJM. So a big thanks to Sewing Geekiness again uh, for this cool little item to have. I believe that's everything on RN Tegan. We have two new releases for Star Wars 5e, uh, a new archetype and species. Uh, first up, your favorite class, the monk. Uh, tell us about that new Rakatan order. I think Rakatan. Rakatan, uh, yeah. This one is one of my favorites. Uh, next time I get to play a class or play a game, uh, I'm rolling this. Uh, if you wanted to do uh, be a tech caster and be a monk, this is the way to go about it. Uh, and nice thing too, because sometimes I, the, the force classes don't always play as well with the monk. Uh, there's like, I forgot what the archetype is, but it's definitely a fun one, uh, the Ink T one. Uh, but the force powers don't always play as well with the monk. Tech powers play super well for a monk and give you some really cool features you wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, so kind of getting into this PC or the uh, the, the class, uh, the Rakatan Order, uh, it's a partial tech caster, so it would be a third tech casting class. Uh, nice thing with this one is at level three, you're going to gain access to tech powers. Uh, you start with four powers, uh, kind of similar, you can mix and match them between uh, at-wills and uh, level one powers. Cool thing with this is you get to have uh, equal to Tech points equal to half your level, uh, as well as using your wisdom, intelligence, or charisma modifier in additional points. So the cool thing with this one is it's not going to make you like super mad. You have to do intelligence on top of either wisdom or charisma. You could use your wisdom or charisma as your base casting stat for the class. Uh, so you're not, monks are already mad enough, and this way you can make it uh, a lot easier to keep everything up. Uh, but the reason why I say this one's such a cool one or such a good mesh of classes or tech powers are fantastic for monks. Um, mainly, they reset on the short rest. So your key, your tech points will all reset together. The other side is there's a couple powers that are only able open to tech uh, casters that fit really well with the monk. Uh, shield being a big one, uh, that plus five to your AC is reactions huge, especially as a little bit of a squishy monk. Uh, Element of Surprise, which is Hellish Rebuke, uh, is another big one. You can use some reaction damage back. Uh, there's, there's definitely even more, too, but those are the two that sprung out to me, just top of the mind when I saw this class. Uh, so that's really cool there. And you get that all at level three. Uh, kind of as you scale up, we'll go up to level six, too, for the cool stuff you get. Uh, the also with this is you get Focus Tech at level six, which does a couple of cool things. Uh, the biggest being is it gives you additional options you can take. Uh, by spending a tech point when you use one of your, uh, not key, your focus abilities. Uh, so like a Flurry of Blows, Patient Defense, Step of the Wind. Uh, I'll pick on Flurry of Blows. Uh, so if you spend a tech point after cast or using Flurry of Blows, uh, when you hit with an attack with Flurry of Blows, you'll do an extra 1d8 damage 
uh, of the same type. So for monks, that can be huge because you get two flurry of blows attacks. So that's an extra 2d8 you can add if you hit with both of them uh, of the same type that you're using. Uh, and you get different things like that for both patient defense, step of the wind, um, and all that just to really enhance out your play style. So if you want to play a monk but wanted to be a tech caster, don't multi-class. Check this out. You're going to have slower gains on your casting side, but having that short rest tech abilities and getting shield and all of those will make a really fun build. I may even do a broken build using this one uh, without needing much multi-classing. So check it out. You'll have some fun. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure it will be pretty easy to get right into that brokenness for sure. So <laughs> awesome. All right. The other new release is a new species, uh, the Tishar. Uh, so if if you said, I want some dinosaurs in my Star Wars game, here you go. Uh, the Tishar are a bipedal theropod, a reptilian creature. So essentially, you know, similar to like a Velociraptor style, uh, a little bit taller standing, of course, sentient uh, there in that regard. Pretty good stats and pretty good features here along with this uh, new species though. So at the top, the ability score increase, you have uh, two points to dexterity and then strength, intelligence, or charisma increase by one. So lots of flexibility there in uh, what you wanna uh, improve with this, with that species. Uh, standard uh, medium size, uh, speed 30 feet. They have dark vision, uh, standard dark vision 60 feet. Uh, getting into some of the specific features there, predatory talents, uh, proficiency in one of the following, acrobatics, sleight of hand, stealth, or technology. Pretty decent options there. They have surprise attack. Uh, if you surprise a creature and hit with an attack on the first turn in combat, you deal an extra 2d6 damage. Uh, you can use this once per combat. But, uh, you know, kind of borrowing that operative feature there, uh, definitely nice to have if it comes up. Tooth and nail, this is a very, very good feature for this uh, species. Uh, so sharp teeth and claws are natural weapons, which you can use to make unarmed strikes. Additionally, your unarmed strikes deal 1d6 kinetic damage. That's huge. Lastly, you also have a bonus action that you can perform a special bite attack. So that same unarmed uh, damage amount. And you also gain temporary hit points equal to your constitution modifier, a minimum of one. And that is a once per short or long rest feature. So really, really good features there on the species. Uh, you know, a pretty, pretty massive starting unarmed strike. Uh, we talked the other week about a, a, the Sentinel. That's what it was, was the Sentinel and talking about that. And here's another species you could maybe slot in and, and start at that D6 and then bump it up uh, with the unarmed strikes. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Talks about the languages and things like that. Uh, the species, as far as uh, its history, comes from very old uh, writings of uh, Han Solo at Star's End, an old 1979 series there. So lots of uh, old history on this creature. So check them out if you're looking for something a little different to throw into your next build as well. Two new great pieces of content there. Tegan, I think that's everything on the front end. Let's get into this interview here. Super fantastic. Do definitely want to say up front, there is potential for spoilers in this conversation up to, I believe, episode seven, uh, which is based on the timeline of this. So if you haven't caught up, just be be warned that there may be something that comes up that is a spoiler to the show, A Starstruck Odyssey. With that, let's get into our interview with Brennan. Check it out. All right, everyone. We have the wonderful and amazing Brennan Lee Mulligan with us. Brennan, how's it going? It's going great. 
great. I'm so happy to be on the podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing well. I wish we had a video so the people could do the poses in the background. That you got going. I'm doing. I'm doing poses just for the for the listener at home. Just imagine the coolest poses you've ever seen well, in your life. Tell about that theater of her mind. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You yeah. you know you're the scene painter here, audience. Exactly. Absolutely. So, thank you so much for being here with us. Of course, uh, as as many of us should know by now. Starstruck Odyssey, the latest Dimension 20 series, uh, is is trucking along, and you are utilizing the Star Wars 5e system as your base system to play that. It has been such an incredible joy to jump into Star Wars 5e. Um, it so you know for for background for your listeners who who might be familiar with SW5e and not familiar with with uh, a Starstruck Odyssey. This is such a funny Frankenstein. So I, so I'm the uh, creator and and a GM for Dimension Twenty, which is an anthology actual play show over on Dropout.tv, which is College Humor streaming platform, and um, we wanted to do a sci-fi season, and specifically we wanted to do a sci-fi season. Uh, set in the graphic novel series Starstruck, which was written by noted author uh, and my mom, Elaine Lee, who's uh, wrote this incredible graphic novel series along with her creative partner, Michael Kaluta, who's the illustrator. Way back in the day, really cool foundational sci-fi text of a absurd, uh, uh, technicolor, surreal, uh, hot suns, hot guns, space opera, retro futurist setting way back in the day. Um, so we had this setting from these comic books. We had our core cast of the intrepid heroes who were used to playing fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. And we were like, well, what system are we going to use, right? Because I've made D&D 5e do things that it really doesn't want to do. I've made it yeah. do heists, which it really doesn't want to do. I've made it do mysteries, which it really doesn't want to do. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting here and I said, look, there's just no way for D&D to do this. And the reason is something I've talked about a lot is Fantasy is rendered in soft focus. Science fiction is rendered in sharp focus. Like when you go to a village in a fantasy world, it's like you can kind of improvise the whole village, right? It's like, this is the village of Thremblin and we are but humble fishers or shepherds, you know, whatever, one of the two. Right, right. When you're in sci-fi, it's like you are on the asteroid KXV14999, a subsidiary mining enterprise that is a joint venture, but it's like everything is just sharper. The the technology sharpens everything. You know, when you're when you're adventuring in Middle Earth, if you kill Gandalf, you don't get to just like pick up Gandalf's staff and now you're a wizard too. But the technology of a sci-fi setting often means like you killed someone, check it out. You got a new spaceship. You can go anywhere in the galaxy. Oh no. So sci-fi is just, I think a lot wilder and a lot more chaotic. The kind of the, you know, even powerful adventurers in the middle of a fantasy forest unless they can teleport, they kind of have to like walk out of the forest in a straight line. In a sci-fi world, any of a billion different ways to like handle problems are all out there. So I was like, okay, we got to have a system that actually gives you both the, the mechanics to deal with all this stuff and then also has that crunch. It has that sharp focus. It has this like breadth of material to really make this world feel sci-fi 
Um, and we looked at a bunch of stuff and there were a bunch of great sci-fi games out there, but we wanted one that would allow us to kind of adopt the high stakes tactical combat that we are so used to that in other words yeah. that would have that would have the ability for us to make these beautiful sci-fi battle sets in tailspire uh helmed by our awesome production designer and actually look living. amazing yeah <laughs> they are just fantastic they're unreal rick perry who's our sort of production designer maestro and also shout out to brother hannon and all the awesome tailspire artists we've had so we we were like it needs to have crunch. It needs to have specificity. It needs to render the galaxy in sharp focus. And it needs to have fun tactical combat. And we just zeroed right in on SW5V. We were like, this, this is the one for us. Um, and the system just came to life. In no small part, I'll be shouting both of you out on your own podcast right here, because you guys were so awesome about like, running test games for us and bringing the world to life and explaining ship combat and actually even like unbeknownst to our viewers or i think we shot you out a couple times in the show but like even rendering stat blocks for some of the starstruck yeah. uh enemies that we fight in ship battles you guys truly um you know the experience of running sw5e was just like a hop skip and a jump because you guys like streamlined the whole process for us it was awesome well i appreciate that uh you know i think that's that's awesome to hear uh tegan and i you know we really enjoy this project. Uh, this is our third year doing the the podcast, you know, and it's just uh, super cool to see the growth and be able to help anyone out there running their own games. Definitely. It was a blast. And it's like, uh, if I had a geek resume, it'd be at the top of my geek resume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Love it. I love it. Um, it was great too. I love you guys jumping in on it as well. Cause obviously starstruck has a way like starstruck's retro futurism. It was very fun to see the, the sort of goofier titles, you know, like, from from Star Wars, which is the most epic and like right. highly dramatic. And then I'm over here like, we need a ship that looks like a big hamburger with crab claws, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, the vibe is a little different, uh, but it was great. The mechanics just sang. Um, and especially I was so blown away by, and I don't wanna, I know we have future questions coming up, but like the ship combat and a couple of the character classes in particular, I was just blown away by. I was like, truly, I was like, I wish there was a version of this in, in you know, if we go to other genres, like this is just a cool mechanic. That does kind of lead into one of our questions uh, with uh, some of the mechanics and things or classes even that you picked up, what's something you want to bring back to 5e or just another system in general? Oh man, the list is too long. It's it's like everything. I mean, the, the different technological stuff, obviously Sundry Sydney and grenades is such a huge part of it. Like you guys cracked economy. Like money actually makes so there's there's actually too much to shout out. I'm gonna be sad because I'm gonna miss stuff. Money actually makes sense. It's a part of D&D that I've been missing since 3.5. But the problem with 3.5 is that it never made sense to have a vibrant magical item economy. You're like, there's a store where they sell priceless artifacts of ancient wonder? How the hell does that work? But in a sci-fi setting, it makes a lot of sense. And in the season, we were always amazed that even when these huge paydays came along, there was a new bracket of the economy that was still somewhat out of their reach. There was still something like, oh my God, there's something still out there for us to aspire to, even as we've moved out of like 
the jaws of economic death, like, oh my God, we can't afford food, to now like, okay, maybe we can afford that, but we certainly can't afford a new system for our ship, right? So it was incredibly scalable. Um, and it was this great thing where like, we had a character that was uh, a path of the Corsair Sentinel who was very grenade focused, but then ended up like grenades were great. It was like, yes, this is significantly overpowered from a normal weapon attack, but you're going to run out. You cannot afford like, like it's a limit, limited, like yeah. it's a limited thing. And in other words, I was so amazed by how financial limitations dovetailed with the resource management of a normal game of D&D. Like normally you're managing your spell slots, you're managing, you know, per long rest character abilities and the finances wove seamlessly into that in terms of characters getting wealth as they leveled up and, um, having to track their their financial resources as well that was huge ship combat oh my god ship combat and the idea of the characters all taking their turn together and re and really seeing a beautiful system for characters to be that starship crew to be calling out things to each other someone like i'm gonna do this and someone being like don't do that let me give you advantage here's the direct action here's this here's that you know like you have everybody you, you know, like I'm a big immersion head. Like for me, the name of the game is how can we um, create a mirrored emotion at the table to what the characters are feeling? And Starship Combat does that beautifully. You feel all suddenly like you are piloting a single giant craft together and you're calling shots out to each other. And it's very, it's immediately not in the spirit of like, oh, let me tell you what to do on your turn. Like some sort of board games are where you're like, actually that's not the optimal play. It's like, no, you are, you are reminding people of your abilities. So you're saying like, someone's gonna do something the hard way and you're like, let me help you do that the easy way. And it feels so collaborative and fun and cool. Um, and then uh, like all the classes were incredible. Like, um, S S Sentinel was great. I have to shout out the class that I would most want to play if I was a PC scholar. I think scholar it is, it's unbelievable. It's a non-magical bard. It's like, mm -hmm. it is a character archetype that should exist in other genres. Like, what if I'm not magical? I'm just really smart. <laughs> like, what if I'm just really fucking smart? Yeah, so um, much versatility with that class. You know, I've, I've had plenty in in my games. I know Tegan, you've had them in there, and they're just where I've played alongside them, and they they can do so much. They can do so much, and it feels like this is a character that always should have existed. Like, Definitely. like there there are a lot of like. I, all the force caster classes are so impossibly dope. Uh, and they feel like, like I could talk about Sentinels all day and they're awesome, but they're very much like of the world of Star Wars and designed for that effect. Like consulars feel like that mass Jedi master force wielder that you would want in a Star Wars game. Scholar is the thing I look at and I'm like, everybody needs to be doing this. This, this is so archetypal because how many times have you wanted to play like a, brilliant character and you're like well i either have to be a rogue in which case like i'm also great at stabbing people which maybe doesn't feel like what i want to be great at or i have to be a wizard in which case all of this intelligence has to be dedicated to arcana it can't be delegated it can't be it can't be delegated to political structures or i want to be a merchant or i want you know like 
And Scholar just really has this ability where you go like, oh, yeah, actually, it is just good to have a smart person with yeah. you. Like, um, it, we, it weirdly mirrored a class that I've talked about a lot before, but I think it's actually a better design of, and especially because all of its incredible archetypes with the subclasses for it, um, of the factotum, which is a weird base class that was buried in a like last minute 3.5 source book called like Dungeonscape. Nobody knows about it. Nobody played it. I don't think anybody bought that book, but there was a class that was like, it was kind of it was kind of like it was called factotum which is a terrible name but it sort of was like the scrappy intelligence based adventurer it was sort of like your your indiana jones or your like it was that idea of like i add my intelligence modifier and use my learning to solve problems in a non-magical way. But I think Scholar does that even better. And it's really fun because it's like, it's like a great buff. It's like a buff utility support class that makes you feel like the, it, like it, it actually kind of mirrors everything fun about ship combat in ground combat where you go yeah. like, oh, this is like an inherently team-based class. Um, that like when you have a scholar on your team, you get better at everything you do. And so it feels great to have that class alongside you. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, you know, with its support abilities and all that. So thinking of uh, the builds and whatnot, uh, for the show, were there any builds uh, of your players that stood out and, and also just felt unique like within the SW5E experience that you utilized? Man, that, that. And also uh, I just yeah. want to touch on that. The fact that you have different leveled characters too is is very interesting to to run a system or run a, or a campaign like that. Yes. So what's interesting is we like to do that that as an offer sometimes. Um, we did it in a crown of candy because some people were playing very young characters and other people were playing veterans, and we were like, well, it makes sense for the veterans to ha be of a higher level, um, and um, I think that. Those, so those those veteran characters, how do I put this? I'm trying to think. In this world, we wanted the characters to be bozos, right? Um, but uh, but there were also some different levels of experience and some sort of different things like that. Uh, so we had some of our crew members started at third level. So we had our sort of alien psychic that was a little bit of a reskinned uh, way of suggestion consular. Then we had. Um, our, our our clone trooper, but was using, I think, Shistavanen uh, uh, stats as a berserker, uh, as a ballistic approach berserker. Nice. Oh, baby, that Sweet is one. a good, <laughs> that's a good build. Um, dude, at like, I think at third level, level survived a fall, a, a terminal velocity max damage fall. Um, <laughs> You're like, that's really good. <laughs> that's a good build. Um, and then we had our Android um, Corsair, which was interesting. So I think she she actually started out as a Rin rather than a droid because androids in Star Trek are different enough from droids in Star Wars. And with this one, I remember consulting with you guys about this because we wanted to do a Sentinel because uh, Emily Axford liked the idea of being kind of like that three quarters caster of like not not full caster having some combat abilities because we think you know we think of android as like well they're really physically proficient but also have all these tech abilities and we just sort of went 
could we have a, could we take the skeleton of the Sentinel and redo it mechanically as a tech caster rather than as a force caster? And I think we kept them on the long rest of a Sentinel uh, on like refreshing the points on a long rest because we were like an Android's tech capabilities are, are more innate than a engineer that's getting, that sort of has them, you know, as long as they can take a second to get that short rest, they'll get their tech points back. Um, so Sundry Sydney's build was the most deviated from, from SW5E, but even that was actually, you guys were pretty much like, yeah, here's how you should handle that. And it was a pretty easy, like, like homebrew. And the class, again, like sinks. It was like totally balanced. Sundry City kicked a lot of ass um, and, and felt like that Android felt like that thing of like, you know, in combat, I'm really throwing grenades and just doing a lot of combat and firing blasters. But I have all these utility tech powers that make me really feel like an Android. Yeah. Um, and it was super dope. I think, I think all those builds were awesome. And again, the, the ranks and the classes, like the fact that people were one thing in the ship and another thing outside is to us the cool, the coolest thing about it. Like Zach Oyama's playing this operative. So on the ground, he's this like quick firing, high initiative, sneak attack, you know, like, 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 like you know, quick on the draw operative and then in it has a totally different role in ship combat mm -hmm. and it just created these identities that were so layered like you know uh our android and our clone trooper berserker were were very different in terms of how they approached combat in the ground game and then we're both gunners on, on the ship and it was like it, you know and it was just yeah oh i could talk about it there is no bill that was not so dope and everyone felt so cool um, occupying both their roles on the ship and their roles uh, uh, in the ground game. So yeah, I, I love that too, because I think we, we say a lot of times that the Starship rules, you really could just do a campaign solely in that set of the rules. You yep. know, you, you don't need to touch anything else. You just, just go do a, a, you know, space battle type campaign. So yep. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, like Lou Wilson's character in started the lowest level and there's a couple of ground battles where he feels very much like this kind of trickster character where it's like throwing a grease up, doing this, hitting something, shutting this down. Like, the, you know, he feels very much like, a, okay, like a, I'm pulling out some engineering tricks to kind of help here. And then he gets to the ship and his role totally changes as the mechanic. And he's suddenly in this position of almost, like a mechanic is weirdly almost like, a, it's not a ship's cleric, but it sort of is in a way. It's right. like his relationship with the power dice is sort of this thing of like, what does everybody else need? And all of a sudden he goes from being this trickster control character into suddenly being like, my entire focus is making everybody else's actions possible. And it it added this, like even in the storytelling, 
it adds this complex emotional layer where it's like when we're outside of the ship, Gunny is like everybody's like we're worried about Gunny. He's this like he's the cyborg that has these expensive body parts that we don't want to let get damaged. And everyone's like, grab Gunny, get him out of there. Yeah. And then on the ship, suddenly Gunny is this like master mechanic and he's taking care of everybody else. And there's this thing of like, I've got you. Like, like use like you see Lou Wilson being like, use the pat. People are like, do we have the power dice? And Lou's like, use it. I got you. Like, there's more where that came from. Uh, it was such a cool role. It like, it just made the relationship so much richer. Um, even on a story level, it made them richer. Which yeah. that's how you can tell good mechanics is when, you know, a series of numbers and rules and dice lead to beautiful story moments. That's good design, right? Love that. Uh, it's kind of blended together the flavor mechanics. And speaking of Gunny, too, I love that casino scene. You already mentioned a little bit of it with uh, Barry surviving that fall, but that that whole scene just had me dying. That was that was that was really well done. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that was such a fun. God, Murph and Lou, unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, so one of the questions we had, you kind of touched on a little bit too, but uh, how did your experience DMing uh, just regular 5e compared to running Star Wars 5e? Uh, and what's some advice you'd give to new DMs coming to the Star Wars 5e system? Wow, it was honestly so fun. So this is this is maybe not the most relatable problem in the world, and I wouldn't even call it a problem, but we've played so much D&D 5e that our really you know, our, the Intrepid Heroes are incredible, you know, tabletop gamers at this point. There are things baked into the skeleton of tabletop games that they really understand, like action economy, optimizing your turn, you know, the, the kind of teamwork, target focusing, all the stuff like that. They really get that on an intuitive level. But the familiarity with the 5e rule set means that sometimes, you know, you feel like, well, I got to take shield. You know, like you got, it's just too good a spell, right? And you end up wearing grooves into the into the terrain of a system that you played in over and over again. So for us as longtime gamers, which maybe your listeners, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners will relate to, but for us, this was like, the perfect kind of alien world to go to of like familiar and yet strange beyond reckoning. And it meant that people had the joy of discovering how to optimize both their play and their level up choices as we went along, right? And, and so that that's like part of the fun is like, oh, new crunch, right? So that was a really fun part of adopting the system to us. And I would say to any new DMs that are coming to SW5E, it's, it, there is a, like, if you, especially if you are coming from D&D 5e, you will have this really familiar skeleton. Like, I will be honest, I was surprised at how little tripping up we did in the system. We didn't have too much time to prepare for, like, ship combat and this we did like a couple of play tests and we did sort of one one run through with the cast and we jumped in and it was a it felt for like if you are a new dm coming to this system the skeleton is so gratefully like familiar Right. That then yeah. you that then you get to just have fun with all the new rules, right? You get to look at all the new stuff and go, oh, all these new toys to play with, but you already kind of know how they all fit together. So it was right in sort of the sweet spot for us of like, 
uh, thrillingly unfamiliar and yet very easy to adapt to coming from D&D. Awesome. Yeah. With, so with, uh, you know, obviously that was an easy transition with Star Wars 5e. Um, talking about your universe, so Starstruck, was there a lot that you needed to do to tweak the, the Star Wars 5e uh, system to fit to Starstruck? Um, you know, I know you did like changing classes, obviously a little bit, a lot of flavor, but a little bit of flavor. We changed some classes around. I think, I think, uh, Siobhan's, uh, psychic, uh, Agua Tunisian ended up just being a Kalistar from 5e D and D from D and D 5e. So there's a little bit of homebrew, but dimension 20 has always been a little bit of a chop shop. We kind of keep, you know, we will sort of, you know, scavenge from everywhere and anywhere. Um, uh, there was not too much tweaking involved, right? Um, I would say that Starstruck has a lot of psychics and empaths and things like that. So we went through the force abilities for Siobhan's character. Um, but, uh, and then a lot of it was reskinning to the kind of retro futurist genre. So like taking a, um, what would be what would be an example? We took some of the like the, the ship cannons and just gave them goofier 1950s names. You yeah. know what I mean? So like like the quad cannon becomes like space saber high on beams because everything's sort of hyper corporate, yada yada. Um, uh, and that was really rewarding. I think. I think there was like a, like the rescanning. You know, I think I tweeted or or said something in an AMA somewhere where I was like. 90% of the mechanics and rules went in unchanged, which for Dimension 20, that's incredible. That only 10% of the stuff kind of got like the hubcaps taken off and, and switched around a little bit. That's that's a huge, that's a, you know, batting batting 900 is, is, you know, nearly impossible. So for us, it was like, man, the system's like ready to go as is. Uh, and so much of the reskinning that we did do was just totally cosmetic to hit that kind of retro futurist genre like mostly the rules as written were like perfect it was like yeah. okay we're going to avoid some of the more um you know some of the more mystical force powers we're going to skip in lieu of keeping it more in that like uh, uh star trekky or like that, that kind of like psychic vibe rather than because the force is so much more uh, mystical i think and then um we and then with the android stuff, just like reskinning some force powers to tech powers. Um, and then other than that, scholar and operative and berserker and engineer all remained pretty much unchanged. And it was really easy to just pick it up and go. Slot them in right in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Brennan, fantastic. Uh, we know you're a busy man as well. We look forward to catching up on the rest of the season here. Uh, for those out there that you know aren't yet, uh, dropout.tv. I believe it is uh what what episode are we on now we're on uh, coming up on seven eight this, yes we are coming up on episode eight which okay. will release out this next uh so, week we'll, yeah this episode is is tuesday first of march already holy shit <laughs> wow so yeah i would say you know uh if you're, if you're listening to this tomorrow uh was it march 2nd i guess yep um over at dropout.tv episode eight so you got time to catch up let's do it yeah, fantastic, uh, just amazing series. And, uh, you know, we 
both of us appreciate uh, you reaching out to us to be a part of the project and help out. It's just been an awesome experience. It's been a blast and it's been fun watching it like kind of go through and seeing like different things we talked about like show up on the screen. It's like I've really been enjoyed. I've been talking my wife's ear off about it. She doesn't care too much, but she's happy. I'm happy. <laughs> hey, that you know what? Happy you're happy is great. That's we can yeah. all be glad about clearing that bar. You know, absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. Brennan, thank you so very much. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you again soon. Hell yeah. A true pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. That was fantastic. Uh, just just amazing opportunity to be able to talk with Brennan. Just such a fantastic individual and uh, so great to to hear, you know, some more thoughts uh, on the back end of, uh, you know, his experience with the system. Yeah, it was just really cool that he is able to kind of give us that perspective and see what he thought of the Star Wars 5e system and even just taking the time to meet with us again too though just uh, he's a sweet guy that was, that was pretty cool absolutely uh in addition to the podcast obviously you've got to listen to that interview here if you're interested in it we're going to throw the video that we did uh, for the interview on our patreon so if you are a patreon member you'll be able to watch the video as well uh, as we talked about some of those uh great little hand signals at the front of the interview get to see those actually, instead of just imagining. All right, that is everything for us. Uh, Tegan, tell us what's up for next episode. We mentioned this earlier, uh, gonna expand on one of the new Star Wars 5e releases. Definitely, so a couple sessions back, or a couple episodes back, I should say, uh, we went over the casting properties focused and enhanced items relating to those casting properties. Uh, so we're gonna go in depth on that. I mentioned in the video that there's so much that can be uncovered there and we really only scratch the surface. So we'll go over those new rules and uh, let you know how you can bring them to your players at the table. Yeah, should be a good one there. Uh, always nice to take you know information like this, these new releases and, and then you know to your point, expand on them in use in practice. I think that'll, that'll help a lot. So keep an eye out for that next one in a couple weeks. I think that's everything. Thank you all once again for, for being here with us, supporting us, listening and following. I appreciate it so very much. We'll see you on the next one. May the force be with you. The force be with you.